0: Viking Fuel. Uh, today I'm uh, doing something a little bit different from uh, the normal things that I've done in the past. I'm actually uh, sitting in Lost Cause and Meadery uh, and I'm going to be uh, interviewing Billy Belts today. Uh, he is an award winner. He has won a uh, few awards with the Major Cups as well as a few other awards. and. Uh, I'm actually really happy to be sitting here uh, with him today, Um, and today's actually a really special day for you guys too, it's your uh, one year anniversary, correct?
1: It is, yeah, we opened the doors to the public uh, a year ago today.
0: Um, So how has that uh, process been uh, working out for you guys? I mean, obviously there's been some challenges, I'm sure, correct?
1: Yeah, there's,
0: uh, I mean, as a small business owner every day, there's challenges.
1: but when we first, um, the, the entire process of getting ready to open and once, once we knew um, kind of what we wanted to do and started building towards it, it, every day there's a new obstacle and whether it's with the city or, or the equipment, you know, supplier or whatever. And then when we finally got um, started making the meat, this is several months before we opened Uh, making meat at a commercial scale using all that kind of equipment is is an entirely different process i mean there's the the science is the same and the recipes are are similar but the actual process the tools you're using um, how you go about making sure um, that everything is is happening as as it should like you were at the home brew level of five gallons um it's all completely different so i didn't have any experience with a winery or brewery before i I'd, would I'd, um, uh, kind of gone around and talked to a lot of brewers here in san diego but um it's it, until you do it you, you never really quite understand what it's like so that was probably the biggest challenge is learning how to make mead in a whole different way. Um, and you know, those first few batches, or first first batch of, of meads that we made, we beat them up pretty bad because we're kind of learning the ins and outs of the equipment, but um, you know, you get it pretty quickly and then you're
0: back to making, uh, focusing on the recipe and the ingredients and the craft of it. Um, I uh, understand uh, when you are aura- at the, uh, consumer level making it, uh, you have to have all of your recipes basically uh, said that you're allowed to make them uh, through ABC, correct?
1: Uh, recipes are regulated by the federal government, so that's the TTB. <coughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and they, um, you have to get your formula approved by them, uh, which is the formula part usually isn't too difficult. They do have a list of approved and not approved ingredients. Um, Sometimes they're uh, never quite sure why some ingredients get on there and not, Um, but uh, that part's easier than they also regulate the labeling Uh, and so what words you can put on a bottle and it's different with every agent you speak to, so that can be a little frustrating.
0: Uh, I have heard a lot about the battles in yeah. that regard in general, which is why I brought that question up. Um, one of the things uh, I kind of felt like would be a good question to ask you though, is how did you get into making it? Uh How did you start this journey? Because I feel for everyone it's a little bit different of how they start this process.
1: Yeah, um,
0: I'm pretty similar
1: to a lot of uh, people that were home brewers before in that you know I brewed beer for a long time and in the back of every uh, homebrew recipe book there's always a couple meads and um, any, any book by uh, Charlie Papazian that is what a lot of homebrewers start with he he just uh, goes on and on about how great these meads are that he made and, and so a lot of homebrewers um, over the last like 20 years we're always kind of intrigued to, to, to give it a shot that's kind of how I got excited about it um, and I heard about it you know in um, movies and, and it was a history major so I, I knew what it was um, but uh, but actually um, trying it out for the first time it's it's kind of the, the once I I had been homebrewing for a while, felt comfortable in it, and kind of wanted to, to you know, give something else a shot uh, when I ended up making my first mead, and, um, and it, you know, it was awful, like a, lot of, <laughs> like a lot of mead makers for the first time. Uh, but I, I liked it so much, I liked the process so much, and was so intrigued by what you could do, that I really kind of dove into um, all the challenges. Why did it turn out this way? Um, you know, what, how else, what can I do to tweak it? And once you kind of go down that rabbit hole, it's for me, it's a lot of fun because there's, there's a lot of good information out there, but there's also a lot of bad information and there's not a lot of, um, it takes some work to figure out what the real best practices are. And
0: that's kind of, I enjoyed that challenge. Um. I will say with uh, myself personally, I felt uh, I started watching a lot of movies and uh, seeing uh, Mead mentioned a lot of movies, and I felt for me it was uh, partially about starting because of that, and then uh, also kind of tracing my heritage back because I'm uh, Irish. Oh yeah. And uh, there's a lot dealing with the uh, Vikings uh, being uh, pillaging Ireland, and I felt for me it was a good way to kind of trace my heritage back as well as do something that was incredibly ancient because meat is one of the oldest forms of fermentation. Yeah. And uh, I do agree with you in the regard that uh, starting off the first time, it always ends up bad. Uh, the first two that I did, I didn't even go with the straight traditional. I did a raspberry lemonade and then uh, I don't even remember what the other one that was, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but both of them, while well, they, they tasted good, uh, they didn't clear very well at all. Uh, I hadn't learned to use uh, nutrients uh, like uh, Firm aid, uh at the time. I was mm-hmm. using something else completely and uh, Thankfully through the Modern Mead Makers uh, Facebook page, I've learned quite a bit. Granted, there is some bad information on there too, and I do want to state that. Um, but honestly, between you, um, Chris, over at Golden Coast Mead, and um, I, I have to give a shout out to Ryan Carlson, because that dude has been definitely helping me out a lot. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot, and I do have to say thank you guys for being helpful in the process. Um, I we'll say my personal favorite mead that I've had from you guys is the coffee mead. I'm actually drinking some of it right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what would you say your favorite mead that you've made is? And, uh, would you like to talk a little bit about, uh, the process in making that mead? Um,
1: it, it's a little different when you're the, the mead maker. It, it, my favorite one is, uh different every day or it's usually the next one we're about to
0: release um, you're, you're your own worst critic
1: right yeah. <laughs> but i do i do think the meat. i'm um we have some boches we're about to release that i'm really stoked on uh especially a uh, a chocolate boche and then a fig and coffee boche which are like the fig and coffee um, is just those flavor that flavor profiles right up my alley and, and I I want to do more meads like that where there's um, you're you're using kind of the dark fruit uh, fig um, chocolate uh, earthy coffee type flavors you get from caramelizing honey uh, and then and kind of build on that um, and we're actually, one of the the collab we're doing with the home brewer um, is uh, uh, a, a Belgian quad, which, and again, we're using that that same caramelized honey. And then, you know, instead of, basically they're making a quad, but instead of um, candy sugar, they're using this caramelized honey. It's just, I just love those flavors so much. But, um, so that those are gonna be exciting. I would say the one I'm most proud of though, is probably our traditional bucket all um, Because it, if you make a really good traditional, um, that's kind of a mead maker's mead, you know, it's, it's, that's always my favorite mead to try from any mead maker is all right, let me, let me try a traditional, not just to see, you know, what kind of mead maker you are, but because there's so much variation, so many different directions you can go using the same simple ingredients. You know, my traditional, um, I could give someone else that same Western buckwheat honey uh, and, and they could do something completely different. I use a, a very unique yeast for the mead making world. And so just the yeast profile and then uh, sweetness level and do you carbonate it, you know, ours is lightly carbonated and aging on oak and what kind of oak and toast. And so it's really fun because uh, you know, traditionals are are supposed to be a little more nuanced, but if an experienced mead maker, um, you really get a, uh, a kick out of picking up all those little things like, oh, okay, this was a, um, you know, very estery yeast fermented at, uh, you know, certain temperature to either bring that out or subdue them and then, um, you know, aged on this type of oak with this toast level and then, you know, is it... Um, this sweet, le- sweetness level or carbonated to bring it out or, or, still. And it's just fun to kind of discover
0: that. So that's my favorite. Um, speaking of home brewer and, uh, of different yeast variants, uh, they actually, uh, earlier today, when I was swinging there, grabbing some supplies, uh, they mentioned an article that, uh, you had done with, uh, Synergy, uh, about, uh, different yeast strands where you had, uh, made the same type of mead, um uh, using different yeast to uh, see what happened. Had people test it and uh, from there, see what they felt about it. Uh, Would you care to talk a little bit about that article and that process and uh, how things went with that for me?
1: Yeah, Um, that was was a lot of fun. It was early in my mead making days. Um, So I still have one. So basically the experiment we did is um, we took uh, a, a series of yeasts, mostly ale yeast, but we also had 71B, which is a wine yeast, is kind of a um, kind of a control yeast, and uh, and we took the series of yeasts. I think it was uh, 12 total, um, and we fermented a, uh, an orange blossom mead using them, and then later fermented a... Um, uh, what was like a, a desert wildflower, so like a little bit of buckwheat, a little bit of sage, um, but, but a, a San Diego wildflower honey. And we um, had brought a tasting panel together. Uh, Pete, Pete Boklich, who's the president of the Maser uh, Cup, and um, he was there, so we had you know, some, some really good judges uh, and basically went through all of them and had you know, tasting notes, recorded them, um, put it all together in a table and they actually scored each one on aroma and taste so we could kind of chart that. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It, it was, uh, it, there wasn't a lot of data out there for ale yeast. It, and uh, someone had done one and, and published it in Zymergy for wine yeast like um, I think a year or two before. Uh, and so I wanted to do one for ale yeast. And, um, yeah, it was it was it was really fun to kind of um, see what happens when you use like a hef you know yeast and um, you know a saison French saison yeast compared to like a California ale yeast and, um, uh, and and kind of you know what happens to the aroma and, and then the flavor and different people got different things. So it was a cool experiment. Still, it's still published. You can find it online. I think it's called the Great Ale, uh, Mead Ale Yeast Experiment. Um, but they were, it, it was early enough in my career that um, I don't think they were great meads. <laughs> and I still have one of each that I'm waiting to to crack open at some point, just to kind of see how they went. Um, but yeah, even even if you even if they weren't perfect, though, you could
0: still. They were all equally not perfect. So you can still <laughs> tell the differences. E- equally crappy, I yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. um, I understand you use a lot of liquid yeast. And uh, if I remember correctly, you do still use a lot of ale yeast. Um, have you done a lot of uh, braggets? Or uh, is that something you're still kind of diving into right now?
1: Well, um, I mean, we, uh, we, as a commercial meadery, we can't legally make a braggot. Um, Oh, I didn't know you couldn't do that as a... Yeah, because we're we're, uh, considered wineries by the uh, federal government and um, there's a a rule wineries can't have any grain on the premises at all. So uh, in order to make a braggart you'd have to have um, both licenses, brewery and winery, and then you'd have to kind of split the space and or switch off, you know, what is used for what. Mike Fallup at Rabbit's Foot does that. Uh, but I'm not a big braggart guy. I, um, I've i I've recently had a couple that are turning me around uh, and um, Eric Olson, who's gonna start a meadery down here, uh, mead hall meadery, he just won the bestest show for the national um, honeyboard uh, beer and honey competition. It, it was one of the categories um, and it was a braggot and it was amazing. Uh, it was the, the best braggot I've ever had. Uh, and then Mediocrity, which is a local meadery as well, they made one with um, Golden Road and uh, that was delicious. Uh, it's kind of like a stout uh, braggot. Um, so those two are kind of kind of turning me around. I, 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 I get them a little more now. Um, but I don't think we'll ever make one. I, I, I love my beer and I love mead and when they come together, I, I almost feel like it's, it's not, they're not the sum of their parts, they're just kind of a muddled, you know, I don't know.
0: I, uh, I actually uh, made a, a coffee stout uh, bracket. Now, I cheated a little bit and uh, used a northern brewer kit uh, for the coffee stout and then added honey to the recipe. Um, but I'm actually really happy with how that one uh, turned out. I'm probably going to have to bring you a little bit to try to see if I can turn you around a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try it. Uh, so um, I brought you a bottle of my Huckleberry Boucher uh, to try out. Um, but. I uh, know that you're currently uh, working on a collaboration, uh, Blueberry Boucher, and uh, I was curious, uh, how's that process going uh, with the collaboration for you? Uh,
1: Good, good. Uh, So that's uh, Satipaya and their mead makers from Sweden. Uh, We thought that would be fun. They were, they're kind of doing a a, a US tour right now, or I think they just got back, Uh, and they did a collab with Superstition last year, so they, um, they, I mean, they make some amazing mead. I had never had it before. They came out and brought me some, and it was fantastic. It was this sweet uh, mead made with beets, mm. and and it was a local honey that um, I, to me I think it, it was it was a a darker, almost like cross between like a buckwheat and a chestnut honey. It was really dark, earthy. Um, not, not like dark, dark like East Coast buckwheat, but just like very uh, earthy and woody and um, this great honey. and then they added you know the, all the earthiness with the beets and somehow just like just just aced it. I mean, it was delicious. So um, it's still the only meat I have from them, but they make great stuff. So what we did when they came here is um, we used some of our caramelized honey and then fermented it with uh, a lot of blueberries. And um, it's only a 80 gallon batch, so just kind of a small one-off. But yeah, it's still fermenting. It'll probably be done um, in a few days, probably four or five days. And then we're gonna um, eventually rack it onto vanilla and cinnamon.
0: Ooh. definitely sounds like it would complement it really well I'm looking forward to uh, being a sampler for it yeah yeah I'm excited so uh excluding your own mead um, what would you say is probably the best mead you have ever tasted? I know this question is probably a hard question to really have a good answer to because there's so many great ones but I want to hear what your answer is to it
1: (laughs) I don't know if I have a um, a best but I I can tell you the ones that I've always remembered that I I really, really like. Um, So, like I told you, I'm a big fan of traditionals. Uh, And Sap House Meadery, um, they just make fantastic meads all around and they um, started aging some of their traditionals in uh, spirit barrels. And I had a a bourbon barrel aged um, traditional mead from them think like two years ago uh, at the at the maser Cup and it was just it was fantastic um, and uh, other tra- good traditionals I've had uh, melavino um, uh, Prairie Rose uh, Susan root up in, in North Dakota or South Dakota I always forget which one makes a, a fantastic clover um, traditional um, and uh, other, I, I mean, there's so many good meaderies out there. It's, it's hard. Um, I really like what uh, Brimminghorn is doing. Um, that's another one that stuck with me, John Talkington. He made a, some mead that is, I think it's like buckwheat honey and then like six or seven spices. Um, and I had it before they were even open, uh, I think two years ago, at the Mazer Cup. So it was, and it had aged for a while. But it was just this big, um, complex, really, really dark and and um, a lot of earthy, a lot of dark fruit from something, and it was just I it had some weird name, and I remember drinking that, and it was like, at the time, that was the best mead I'd had. <laughs> um, and then yeah, you know, I'll always enjoy a, a Shrams
0: or Superstition mead and. Um, uh, those are always a treat as well. Like I said, I know that's a hard question because there's so many good ones out there. Um, you mentioned the Maser Cup uh, quite a bit uh, just now. And um, I know your uh, devilish grin actually uh, won an award at the Maser Cup as well as a few other awards. And uh, you've actually judged at the Major Cup a couple times. Um, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the competition process and uh, what people can expect when they're entering as well as uh, what it's like to be the judge at such a huge event like that. Yeah
1: um, <coughs> well we could we could talk just on that topic for an hour. <laughs> but, right. Um, a couple of tips I have for uh, for entering competitions. One don't you know Focus more on the feedback you're going to get than, than placing, um, because it just takes a a long time or at least a lot of entries and, and competitions to kind of get a feel for it and understand. Okay, um, what am I going to get out of this? What's what you know? What is good feedback? What's not? And, and what are the judges looking for? What not? Um, it is always a little bit of a crapshoot, especially mead, because any regional competition you never know you could get a fantastic you know judge that is doing mazer cup every year and owns a meadery or you could get um you know a beer judge who's only had a few commercial meads and um and and is just kind of all over the place and that's still pretty rampant you know out there in some of the regional competitions so go in expecting hoping to get more around the feedback and kind of get a sense of, of it um, if you're starting out and then once you kind of uh, get some stuff out there and back hopefully you get good feedback um, it's getting the, the quality of judges is getting better every year quality of me is getting better every year um, but if, if you if you really want to get into entering competitions i would recommend actually uh, becoming a judge yourself, and um, best thing I ever did was was become a BJCP certified mead judge. It's a great learning process to to do that. Um, I think it's a little easier now that it's all online. I don't think they have an in-person tasting like they used to, um, but that way you you under you can see it from a judge's perspective, um, and it's a lot easier to understand. So if you're entering a mead you know before you just write okay here's what's in there um, and here's the kind of honey it is and and, you know send it off think about um, how can you help the judge understand everything that that would be beneficial to this means so if there is a distinct honey you know call that out and even if it's a wildflower you can Give a, a region the wildflowers from, and then a good judge will be able to take that and and you know usually work with that knowledge a little bit more. Oh, okay, it's uh, you know North Dakota wildflower, so there's going to be some clover. So if I get cinnamon, that's that's fantastic. Um, or it's Hawaiian wildflower, and I I'm getting tropical notes or coffee. You know, it um, those things is a judge you you can't assume but as a if you're entering something you want to help the judge find I guess the way to say it is you want to help the judge find the things that stand out and make that mead unique and if they can't find it they're not going to reward you for it Um, so whatever it is that stands out in that mead um, that you that you can find oh I get some um, some of these notes in there, uh, it, it, the, anything you can do to help lead them there, um, is beneficial. I mean, you, you can't make up stuff, but you know, um, you, you want to be cognizant of, um, what they will be looking for and, and finding or not finding. Um, and, It's still pretty common in the mead world that if you're gonna enter something, um, at least for dry or semi-sweet, you will often find meads that are on the the sweeter side of that range will do better. Um, It's not a hard and fast rule at all, but uh, I mean the range is so big, you know, dry, you have gravity 1.0 to 1.0 or well yeah. One to uh, 1.01. That's 10 gravity points. Um, I mean, if you if you do something that's uh, 1.008 and it's um, it, but it still t- is dry, you know, to and has the perceived uh, comes off is perceived dry. Um, it'll it'll have a little bit more body and it'll have maybe a little bit more roundness and. And maybe honey character and things that is something is just bone dry. I'm not always um, right, <laughs> but that's for for people starting out. That can be a, a um, kind of a thing to consider. Is you know if you're entering in as semi-sweet and mm-hmm. it's at the very driest part of semi-sweet, just you know you're, you're competing with things that could be 15 gravity points higher. You know maybe it's maybe it's. Perfect.
0: Maybe, maybe then you, you might need to rethink it. So, right. And uh, with that in mind, I know there's a lot of people that'll probably enter like session meads, uh, in that. And uh, with sessions, there's also carbonated. And um, with that in mind, you're probably going to be running into a lot sweeter meads with the process of making a session because it's a lower alcohol content as well. Um, so um, one thing I would kind of want to give you a chance to do is uh, have a chance to market yourself a little bit here because uh, you're giving me the time of uh, sure. being in here. So uh, I want to ask, is it possible to uh, buy your meat online? Online, And uh, do you guys have uh, shipping that you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, we ship to, we ship through <laughs> the
0: shippers. So it's to I don't know, 38 states um,
1: that uh, allow wine from California. So we have our mead online, um, and we are about to release uh, a lot of new meads. Um, so in the next two weeks, two, three weeks, we'll, we'll be releasing um, two of, of our boches that I'm really, really excited about. And then um, our one-year anniversary is coming up on December 1st and 2nd, so we're gonna have a big party then. And then we're releasing uh, a lot a lot more so we will we'll be releasing a sizer we did and have been aging uh, in bourbon barrels for the last eight months um, we're releasing uh, our our me called pinata death squad and it's made with uh, chipotle, cacao nibs, and cinnamon and that's been aging in a rum barrel for eight months so we're gonna release that we're gonna release our chocolate boche um, we're gonna bring back a couple kegs of the um, Key Lime Pie Mead we collab we did with Superstition, and then we have a, a brute IPA Mead we did with Melavino that we're gonna need a couple kegs of. So um, it's gonna be fun. Uh, <laughs> the the collabs we're
0: we're not gonna sell online or in bottles, but everything else we will. Uh, it definitely sounds like you guys do have a lot. Uh, Coming your way, and uh, that actually kind of goes into my next question here. Um, with you guys reaching your one year anniversary and uh, actually uh, starting to celebrate it and everything, uh, what do you think your plans for the future will be uh, here at Lost Cause? Um, I, know, I know that's a bit of a hard question to answer.
1: Well, we, our immediate plans are um, we're looking at a new space so we can. Uh, expand our production, and um, uh, I mean that was always the plan here because we, you know, we share the space with Serpentine Cider, um, and we sh- we we knew that after about a year and a half, two years, um, we'll have, have, have run out of production space, and it's actually happened even quicker than we um, expected. That's kind of a good thing though, right? That oh means yeah,
0: you guys are selling really well. Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, it is good. So we're. We're looking for a new space to, um, to build out a produc- new production facility and then we'd like to get it in an area um, different from here in a different neighborhood so that we can uh, add a second tasting room and actually make that kind of Lost Cause headquarters and um, then we'll just have this as kind of a satellite tasting room. So
0: that is, that's the big, big project we're working on right now. Obviously uh, with being a small business owner, there's uh, the difficulties you're gonna run into with that, which uh, we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, so recently I saw a Facebook post that uh, you guys have done where uh, you guys seem to have had a spill. Oh yeah. Um, here in the tasting room. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what happened with that? Uh, what caused that to happen? And uh, would you say that's probably the worst mistake that you guys have had? Or what would you say is the worst? issue you've ran into as a mead maker
1: um oh man there's issues every day that's, <laughs> that's just one picture we we posted the one you were willing to share yeah, right <laughs> take a picture once a week about that uh no that was just it was just a leaky cake we we put on a um a little experimental mead that we did for the walkabouts here and it was just five gallons uh and it was a corny cake so one of the connections um, got loose and just started leaking. And all it takes is, you know, 15 minutes of a, a leaky keg and it's everywhere. So um, that was that. But you know, equipment—you, what people, you know, need to know if they're ever going to start a meter is, it really is, you know, a, a manufacturing business. I mean, it's also. Um, you know, you have the tasting room and, 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 you know, however you're distributing your product and all that, but at its core, it's manufacturing and manufacturing businesses, that is, you have a lot of expensive equipment and that is what you are working on, you know, every single day. There's there's always equipment, things that need to be fixed, adjusted, and every day you're kind of like, okay, how can we work around this? And, We've gotten in a pretty good groove now, but um, you know, every time we are going to get something new or scale up, or now that we're doing a lot more barrel stuff, it's always kind of a learning curve of um, how to do it and then how to do it right, you know, with, a, with uh, as little impact to the product, that, um, if any, you know. So that's there's always something that, that <laughs> can't go wrong with that um luckily we've
0: we've been lucky enough to um, not have any disasters yet that, that's definitely good to hear i know with the uh, barrel aging you kind of run into the issues if you have to have properly treated barrels where uh, there aren't any i think it's called a uh, burrs in the barrel and yeah. uh, things like that and uh, now that you've mentioned you're doing uh, bourbon barrels uh, that's definitely something i'm gonna have to come here more often for because i do love my bourbon oh yeah um, I feel like I've taken up quite a bit of your time today. Uh, I am sorry about that. Oh, no um, My last question I'm going to ask uh, before I uh, let you go back to uh, doing your job here is um, if there's any advice you could give for somebody just starting making mead, what would it be?
1: Um, it would be try and perfect a uh, traditional mead and um, and Try and focus uh, on creating uh, aroma-driven meads. I think that um, if you f- there's so much that you can tell in in, in aroma more than taste, and that's um, not always true. I mean, there's some, some really yeasty characteristics you can you can only get in taste. But um, if you if you try and become aroma-driven and like okay. Not just looking for off flavors, but why didn't this meat have the aroma that I wanted, it, um, or why was it different? Or that will lead you to answers that will almost always make you a better mead maker. So there's a lot of good information out there. I guess the other thing is you know know where to get the right information and the wrong, and what's the wrong information and uh, and and the right information is I've found. Most that it's um, you. You only you have to know the source and what uh, what what needs does that do they make um, because there's been some people I I took got a lot of advice from that you finally realize well they you know they have a big voice say on a certain website or something uh, or a big personality but in the end they're. Um, they're not making great meads, you know? And then you find these other people that, you know, don't don't yell and scream a lot, but they're just making consistently fantastic meads or winning these awards and, and suddenly, you know, realize, oh, I should probably pay attention uh, to what they're saying. And um, Tom Repus is a good example of that. Just super nice, soft-spoken guy, but, you know, he, he engages in uh, modern mead makers form. He just won Mead Maker of the Year, uh, and you know, I think it's always funny whenever he gives advice. It's just like, okay, that the 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 advice should just stop right there. Like, like just do what Tom said, because he makes just fantastic meads and he knows the science behind it and he's a beekeeper. And um, I mean, there's a lot of people. He's not the only one that's that's on there making great meads, giving great advice. But um, you want to know the source. And okay, whatever whatever that guy or girl said, that's that's what I'm gonna do. Um, those would be my two pieces of advice. You know, get get your uh, insight from the right people, and
0: focused on aroma, um, and and that will make you a better meaning I I do have to uh, agree with you in regards to starting with the traditional because me being the idiot that I am, I started with Mel Mel's and uh, paid severely for it. <laughs> but I, I feel like everyone that kind of dives into making me, they want to start with the complex stuff first. And uh, then from there, uh, dive back after they've realized they've failed <laughs> and start working on the traditionals from there. Well, that's actually a,
1: I think a, a watershed moment for most meat makers is, you know, you make a couple mellow mills and they can, or, or whatever, you know, um, caps and mills something big and sweet. And um, sometimes they turn out horrible. Sometimes they're actually, you know, not great, but drinkable because you put in so much fruit and you're back sweeten it so much that it covers up anything. And then though, there there's like two paths. Meat makers then either Often realize okay, I want to, I want to learn the the real science and art behind making, you know, great fermented meads. So I'm going to go and try my hand at traditionals and perfect those. And then there's the the group that just keeps making uh, outlandish me not outlandish but um, meads that can hide faults. And some people have actually gotten pretty good at it, but. If you, if you had to make a traditional mead, you know, say like a off-dry traditional mead, um, and uh, you know, under six months, you know, and, and try it, um, it's it's night and day from someone who's who's embraced the traditional meads and, and the, the science behind it and figured out what to do. So um, you've kind of taken the right path, I would say. <laughs> Go back, focus on traditionals, uh, get that, and then
0: there's so much to learn in, in all the other styles, any kind of Cohen and add that. Uh, I definitely do love my traditional. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna take a little bit more of your time and dive oh, into fun. a little bit more of a complex question here. Uh, with uh, regards to traditional yeah. mead, there's a kind of the modern science mead, and then there's the actual old school traditional mead where you're using raisins as your nutrients rather than using, uh, let's say like, mermaid or uh, things like that and uh, I don't know if you've ever actually done the old-school way of doing it I know I personally haven't uh, I was just wondering how have, have you uh, had the old-school way of uh, mead as a tasting before and uh, how would you compare it to modern science
1: um, I, w- I, w- I would give you a caveat that I, I, I think the misunderstanding that uh, older traditional meads were, were made, you know, without nutrients or using raisins, and and new science has kind of brought that in. Um, I would say that there's always been mead makers using um, the the right science, and there will always be mead makers using, you know, deciding to not use, say, um, nutrients that aren't from, you know, I, I don't dried fruit or whatever. Uh, it it's just become, I think, more common now to, to uh, embrace and adopt the science. Um, but if you think about winemaking, I mean, people that can't have come from the winemaking world um, have been using that science for, for forever. I mean, as old as winemaking is, you know, so um, there's just some, some bad info out there. Um, but I've had both and you can make great meat either way Um, what it really comes down to is uh, a healthy fermentation so when you can have if you choose the right yeast and you um, you know with the right temperature and um, and a certain honey and and the right amount of let's say you're using raisins you can have a delicious meat now that doesn't mean that the raisins supplied the you know, the the, the nitrogen that, that ferment would have supplied, but um, some yeasts are very low nitrogen, you know, uh, needs, and depending on um, temperature and pitch rate and all that, that affects nitrogen uptake. Um, so there's all these factors that you can actually, you know, there's a lot of different ways to make a great mead, I'll say, um, and so, you know, never, f- I don't, no one should ever feel that there's, um, this process and this is the only way to do it. But there are, there are, you have to, if you really want to make it consistently great, you have to know um, how to have a healthy fermentation. And a healthy fermentation is not making a meat and then letting it sit for a year to age out um, any off flavors. A healthy fermentation is uh, bringing the yeast through fermentation um, in a a controlled way that keeps them happy, um, and 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 controlled so that the uh, fermentation continues, but they're not giving off flavors, they're not uh, spiking in growth um, in order to um, produce more fusels. Or so, if you can have a healthy fermentation, then it doesn't really matter what you use uh, to get there. But um, you, it, you know, it just. The fact is that um, you're gonna have to use a lot of a lot of raisins to 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 reach those nitrogen levels to have a healthy fermentation. Now, the one thing I, I, I will also say is traditional mead is actually a um, um, kind of you know mislabeled because if you mean if if people want to know what traditional mead was like mead way you know thousands of years ago or um, you know just uh, um, you know, several hundred years ago. M- people, w- as far as we can tell, um, you know, meads were fermented with other ingredients. So um, people were really fermenting whatever they could. In um, the earliest, you know, beverages and a record of alcoholic beverages that scientists have found have often
0: included uh, honey, grain, and grapes. Um, and um, the Vikings often even used uh, spices in their uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, on top of that, they actually would uh, use it as a medicine, so to speak, to uh, cure a lot of uh, ailments, too. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of um, I
1: mean, honey has its own properties, and then there's a lot of spices and herbs that um, are you know, beneficial to the body for different reasons, and you mix that in and um yeah i mean that's where i think there's a connection between the and the medicine mm-hmm. uh i don't I, I think i've just read that but but yeah so anyways it, it, it's funny because a lot of people come in and they'll see like a mead made with um you know tart cherries and black pepper and they're like that's just ridiculous you know like why don't you make you know real traditional mead and and we do have our traditional mead, and we make other ones too but it's um i i usually try and educate them and say well no you know traditional traditional mead, the oldest mead is um is going to use it's like a kitchen sink mead. you know they just whatever they could find yeah <laughs> like they didn't have ferment and so yeah they i mean the the healthiest fermentations were when you added grain and fruit and all the and you, you mixed it all together
0: and it was Probably delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say for me personally, uh, just for the sake of trying to do it, I'm probably going to try to do the old school method of uh, doing raisins just to see how that process goes. But I do feel that modern science has definitely helped us out in regards to where I can make a mead and uh, within one to two months be done with it uh, without having to do any serious aging on it. Have a great tasting mead and uh, I feel it's great that we have that, that we've reached out. Um, I've taken up a good amount of your time at this point. I think I'm going to let you go, but uh, I definitely have enjoyed this conversation with you. It's, it's definitely been very fun, and uh, I hope that uh, someday we can do it again in the future. Cool. Um, this has been VikingFool. Uh, until next time, skull. The music featured in this episode of Viking Fuel is from one of my personal favorite bands, uh Brancos, the song is Pineapples in Space. If you'd like to have your music featured in an episode of Viking Fuel, please feel free to send me an email at northj at gmail.com.